1: Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.
2: This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host Mac McDonald.
3: Well, welcome in. It's another edition of Center Court with Ralph Sampson, Hall of Fame basketball player. I'm Mac McDonald. We got a great show for you today. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to speak with Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, and uh, boy, how the bubble unfolded. And uh, Ralph, I'm sure that Rick's got a lot. He, you know, former teammate, he played with you, right? And. Yep. Uh, when he Once he transferred in, he had one season with you and then, then took the team to the Final Four <laughs> after your uh, graduation. Yes. But, I mean, Rick, uh, the, the NBA bubble and all that went on, I, I know he's got a couple of great stories to tell today.
4: Well, you know, Rick's season. Rick is a special person. He transferred in, as you said, to UVA. He loved his work ethic. We saw that he was a coach, you know, on the court and off the court. And I'm sure, you know, this interview is going to be very special. I look forward to it because – he he loves the game of basketball. Uh, it's it's been his world since he was growing up as a youngster. I'm sure, but uh, the story's going to be amazing. I look forward to this interview for sure.
3: Ralph, when you were going through the summer, and of course, this is what you know. I think we'll ask Rick about in the bubble, and you know whether they were going to play or not play uh, in your era, and and I mean even before though. You know, growing up in Harrisonburg, did you notice? social things and racial things that you know you wished you could have waved a magic wand and changed?
4: I mean growing up you 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 look back at it during this whole summer and you're like okay oh that's probably what that was but you didn't know Mm -hmm. Uh, you didn't know for sure and you just kind of let it just kind of wash off and then we lived in an all african-american community so it wasn't anybody but us there and most of them were cousins and I can remember that you know uh no no other culture would come to that community whatsoever and they were scared to come to that community so i saw that divide at, at an early age and then you can see you know when it started to get a little bit easier any like the caucasian women and the, mm-hmm. and the, and the African american guy would date a caucasian woman. they would ride through but they ride through so fast that so they didn't want anybody to see <laughs> wow. them and just take the yeah. car and ride through so you saw signs of it like that early on but no one told us we didn't pay much attention because we just grew up that way we just thought it was natural but I, I do re- realize from my mother's side of the family, my grandfather, you know, that they say I'm liking a work ethic standpoint, but there was that racial divide there when he bought this farm for $6,000, you know, and, and had to feed 12 kids, but he worked with all farmers. And yeah. so I can now understand what some people tell me about the stories about him. And those are amazing as well. So I didn't see it that much, but I didn't realize it at that at that point, but I do realize it now because I can look back at it.
3: Sure. When you were being recruited, did other schools use race against UVA or maybe the other schools? Like, did, did they use race in a, in, in a recruiting way?
4: Uh, when I look at it, yeah. So you can imagine, you know, Kentucky would RUP, you know, there mm-hmm. was racial divide mm-hmm. there with, you know, uh, Jack Gibbons and all those guys. So I heard it there. I'm like, okay, why do I want to go? And then I, you know, I got the RUP reward three times. So, you know, (laughs) so it's kind of crazy that you see that and after get the rubber word from what he was about, whatever. And then I go to North Carolina with Dean Smith and you see and you hear the Charlie Scott stories. And I didn't understand them at that point in time until I got to know Charlie Scott. Sure. Stories that that we have with him are just crazy, crazy. So we'll have to have him on as well because his stories are are, are crazy what he had to go through. But I heard him. And then going to UVA, you know, I didn't pay attention to much because I would go to UVA when I was in high school going to watch games and so forth and so on. So I could hear things like, you know, they only ever had two African Americans on the team at the same time because none of the white guys wanted to room with them on the road. So <laughs> that's what other schools would say. Sure. And then I'd come to UVA and we bring four African Americans and you know the rest is history after that. But you heard these things, but I never really paid attention to it until now.
3: Yeah, good stuff. Well, Rick Carlisle is right around the corner. We'll go to break center court with Ralph Sampson. We'll talk to the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks after these messages. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The mission for the Sampson Family Foundation is simple we strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate, It takes teamwork to make the dream work.
2: You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation.
3: Welcome back Center Court. Ralph Sampson and Mac McDonald with uh, a guy we've known for a long time and truly one of the one of the better coaches in the NBA. Not only that, he's a an accomplished piano player. I was hoping he'd be sitting in a piano tonight. And uh and got his pilot's license. If that's not enough, Rick, welcome. It's good to talk to you. How you doing?
5: I'm well. Good to talk to you.
3: Are you uh did you catch up on your sleep after draft night?
5: Yeah, I did, but you know, everything is I'm up early every morning now anyway, so it's always it's seemingly always busy.
3: Um, Rick, the experience of the bubble and everything that you guys went through in 2020, how difficult was it?
5: Well, I mean, it wasn't the beginning part of it wasn't difficult, but there were it was just it was just a very different experience. You had to test for every other day for a while in your home market, and then you started testing on consecutive days in your in your home market. You had to clear um, consecutive excuse me, <clears throat> all of a sudden I get something in my throat. You had, to con- clear, you had to clear consecutive tests in your home market to be cleared to get on your plane to fly to Orlando. And then once you got to Orlando, you got on a bus with a bus driver that had been tested every day for a period of time. You get off at the, we get off at the uh, Grand Floridian Hotel, which is one of the Disney hotels. You go immediately to, to, to another test you test there and then you go to your room for quarantine for between 36 and 48 hours. So wow. the reason it was 36 to 48 and not, you know, 10 days or whatever it was is because of all the testing you did ahead Sorry of time. Too. And then, you know, when you cleared your test, you had to have two tests while you're in quarantine. So when you're in quarantine, you cannot come out of your room. Hmm. Um, someone would knock on your door, you take a chair, you'd go to the doorway and you'd have a mask on, but then they would show up and someone would have a mask and a shield and then they would test you. And so you would sit in your doorway and they would reach in and they would do a um, a combination throat and nasal swab test. And then once you cleared two of those, then you could clear quarantine. And then you know at that point we could start practice. And so- wow. You know, we did that, and then there was testing every single day. I mean, you know, you had a testing time that was it was based upon either your practice and or game schedule, and so the testing times were were always variable. Um, but you know, the first couple days, it was like you know the, the the regimented nature of it was it was interesting, but you you just sensed like there had to be a bunch of positive tests before this thing is over with. And the way it turned out, there were none. I mean, there were there were no positive tests the whole time. There were some false positives. We had one staff member that had a false positive after our third day of training camp. And that was scary because, you know, he had been around the entire team and your staff during practices, um, your bench coaches could go without masks because they were talking and communicating. What you learn during this kind of period is, you never realized how much, you know, reading somebody's lips, even if you had good hearing was, you know, a part of communicating. And so, you know, this particular staff person had been without a mask because he was a bench coach and he had been, you know, close to the players and something like this. All of a sudden it's like, Oh no, the, the whole team could get positive now, but actually that wasn't the case because there was a scientific strategy to how they set it up. And it had to do with the incubation period of the virus. So there was a 24-hour incubation period. So they could catch somebody on a positive test. And in that 24-hour period, they could pull them and take them to quarantine before they became contagious. And so they could control the whole environment. Um, And that's one of the reasons that, you know, this thing was successful. Now, you know, you get into this. The first week, ten days was was good. It was fine, you know. And then we started getting the games. That was that was good too. Um, you guys, I'm sure, saw a few of the games and mm-hmm. they had the digital boards and the people. They use Microsoft Teams to, and you had to sign in to get you know to be one of those people and stuff like that. But it was cool. It was interesting. And if you were the home team, they'd pipe in home team fan noise. They would, right. you know, they would play your recorded intros for your team, things like that. Um, but, you know, after two or three weeks, there's was kind of an isolation aspect to it that, you know, added a, a, a mental health sort of thing to it. And some of the players were, were pretty forthright talking about it. Um, and it just became difficult being away from family. So that part of it was very challenging. But, you know, Ralph, as you know, you travel with teams for many years your team becomes your family. Um, We did have a close-knit group. um, And overall, we had a a great experience, but it was, you know, we were there for almost two months. It was like Mm. 58 days or something like that. Uh, Phenomenal experience, um, but it's an experience that no one wants to do again because of the amount of time that you're away. It's just very difficult that way.
4: Yeah, you get in that regiment, you know, I mean, you know how to play. You go travel, you go home, you get the days break home. You get no break in the bubble, right? It's Mm kind of all 24-7. And then they told me that you had to wear a wristband as well so you could check into a different facility, the eating facility or the practice facility and make sure you had your test. So, I mean, I commend Adam Silver because, you know, that was a huge process. And to do that, I mean, I probably could have done it because I'm playing, but I can only imagine, you know, being away from home and, being in a bubble for, you know, three months, that's gotta be, I had to be hard.
5: Ralph, for homebodies like you and me, <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's a different kind of experience. And like the other part of it that you just mentioned, so you had a, a credential, so you had a lanyard and then a, you know, a thing and a plastic thing and, and, a, and a credential and you had to have that to go to all the different, you know, sites. There were six or seven practice sites. There were three playing sites um, the hmm. convention center, which was the central building um, of the Grand Grand Floridian, uh, you had to take this wristband that you're talking about. So I didn't wear it on my wrist. I had it clipped to my lanyard. And so, but you had to check in, like you, you ran it, you, you did a scan thing and the scan would read whether or not you had done your, um, your app check-in. So in the morning, every morning, and this is something I forgot to mention, You'd go on your phone. It's called the NBA My Health app, and you had a, a thermometer and a pulse ox thing, and it was connected to Bluetooth to the app on your phone. So you take your temperature and, and your pulse oximeter reading, and it would automatically read onto your phone, so you couldn't lie about it. <laughs> you'd answer a few questions about you know how you were feeling, and then you know you'd hit submit. And if you submitted it the way you were supposed to, then um, then you were cleared. So then when you scan going into the, the main building where the food was and stuff like that, you'd get a green. And if you didn't, you'd get a red and then they'd stop you and um, you know, you, there'd be a process. And at first, you know, some of the guys you know on, on campus weren't taking seriously the requirement to wear masks. Um, and you could go without masks outside as long as you were distance six feet. But inside, you had to wear them. And so some guys were, got caught with in not wearing them early and were fined, you know, per, I don't know what the fines were, but they weren't They weren't small. And so everybody adjusted. To that. That's kind of like what happened with the NFL coaches. You know, those guys pulled right. their mm-hmm. things down and they were without masks, you know, last first week. And there were hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines. And <laughs> so they fixed that that's up pretty quick,
4: real quick.
3: <laughs> Our guest is Rick Carlisle head coach, Dallas Mavericks. I the NBA detailed it to, I, I love the fact, all the protocols and one of the protocols was no doubles ping pong. And so they, <laughs> they, they were, they, they were monitoring literally everything, everything said the guys could go play golf, but I mean, they just, they literally, I don't think missed a step anywhere.
5: They didn't. And so, you know, um, I played golf a few times and when you, when you play golf, it, I mean, it was great because the league took care of it. They, you know, all the tee time, all that stuff was paid for by the league. But when, when you had, when they had segments of tee times, they would basically buy out all those times and the course would be completely clear. Wow. And so there would be no other, um, you know, people visiting Disney that were on other property mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. And so there was one day because of our practice schedule, I wanted to try to to play golf early and our tee times weren't until like one o'clock and, you know, Orlando, you know, in summer, one o'clock to four o'clock, I mean, you're going to get a thunderstorm. So I called and (laughs) got a tee time for like first thing in the morning. And then the next morning, the next, that night, my trainer said, Hey, do you have a tee time tomorrow morning? And I said, (laughs) I said, yeah, why? He goes, well, look, you got to cancel that because if you go and play when there's other people around and stuff like that, you'll have to go in quarantine for ten days. <laughs> I was like, holy shit! <laughs> you know, and I didn't even think about stuff like this. And so, you know, the the measures that they took to make sure that it was safe were were extreme, but um, they were necessary, and, they, and, it, and it provided a a real you know a real layer of protection for everybody who was there, and that. You know,
4: that's one of the reasons there were no positive tests. So, so transition that into, you know, I mean, no positive tests, wearing a mask to the world, but also now going back and playing December 22nd, when the season starts again in your own home gym. So I'm sure the league has protocol there as well that you guys got to focus on. I was reading an article the other day on the Golden State Warriors owner. He's putting $30 million into his arena for all these state-of-the-art technologies so they can play. So what are you guys doing down there? I know Mark Cuban's probably off the chart with stuff, knowing him and knowing know him well. What are you guys doing there to, you know, continue the season or away from the bubble?
5: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Like, you know, some of this is gonna depend on state laws. Um, yep. as you As you've seen with NFL football, you know, some, some teams are allowing a percentage of, of the arena to be or the uh, stadium to be filled. Um, other places are allowing no fans. And some of that has to do with state laws and, you know, what the governor has decided in, in particular states. And so, you know, our stuff begins a little over a month. Um, I'm not sure what Mark's going to do. I like, it, I read a little bit about what you're talking about with the Golden State guys. You know, they're investing 300 million in all kinds of rapid testing and stuff yes. like that but look at that, that that building was built um with private money yep. and you know the owners um it's a, it's a lot of their money they you know they have great motivation to get people in the seats and you know you've got you've got tv money you've got local tv money and you've got you know the fans in the arenas and when you lose that bucket of the fans in the arenas um and golden states had a great team and they have very high prices and stuff like that i mean that's a huge 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 amount of revenue and so you know the 300 million is to try to probably you know recoup you know 500 million and maybe make an, a, an extra couple hundred million or something like that but i mean the adjustments that people are making in you know in, in society and and you know and some of these uh NBA and NFL teams have just been remarkable.
3: Our guest is Dallas Mavericks head coach, Rick Carlisle, former Cavalier, former Ralph teammate too. Rick, a lot of things to talk about regarding the bubble, but the summer that was.
5: Well, there were a lot of conversations and, uh, you know, when George George Floyd was killed um, in late May, you know, it had been pretty much decided that there was going to be some form of a bubble. They were trying to figure out where it was going to be, whether it was going to be Vegas or Orlando not surprising that it was Orlando because it's Disney and Disney owns, uh, ABC and ESPN, right. you know, mm-hmm. so that made a lot of sense, you know, three days after George Floyd, uh, now I'm, I've been, I'm the president of the coaches association have been for 15 years. Oh wow! So the reason I'm, I'm explaining this is because I got a, we got a call from, uh, Lloyd Pierce, who's the head coach of the Hawks, African-American coach, uh, great person. Um, uh, and become a good friend. And he said, uh, he said, Rick. He goes, we got to do something. Um, you know, this this George Floyd thing. He goes, you know, this has really screwed me up. He's he screwed a lot of people up. Uh, we got to try to get the coaches together, mobilize, and 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 really, um, and use our platform to make to make something, you know, positive happen. And so, within about six or eight hours, myself, Lloyd, and J B Bickerstaff who's a coach of the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers called all thirty coaches, and we had a Zoom call the following day with all her thirty head coaches to talk about what we could do. And so, um, you know, we put uh, we put Lloyd on, you know, as 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 a guy that that, that wanted to speak on it. He, he gave them one of the most impassioned um, speeches about you know, how this was a horrible, horrible thing, you know, to go along with 400 years of, of, of social injustice, racial injustice, you know, going back, you know, to pre-slavery, I mean, just uh, so many things. And so we formed a committee on uh, social injustice and reform. And from that, we ended up with coaches for racial justice. And you probably saw the pins, the coaches were wearing in the bubble. This initiative, um, you know, we each partnered with some lo- local grassroots organization that knows the lay of the land. You know, we got into um, policymaking, local leaders. Um, you know, what what could be done to um, impact um, policing policies to, you know, try to mitigate police brutality. Those kinds of things. We partnered with the Obama Foundation, and we had, and probably our most significant partnership was. With Brian Stevenson from the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama. And um, many people are familiar with Brian's work, many are not. He's the foremost civil rights attorney in the, in, in the entire nation. And he got on a call with us and explained that, you know, one of the things that we should really consider as coaches were teachers and educators, and to educate people. On the history you know of racial injustice. So the Equal Justice Initiative has a calendar um, that ha- every day of the year has um, an anniversary of some event of social injustice, racial injustice, border suppression, I mean something and so there's 365 different events, you know different points of history. Mm. And so what we did, and you guys may remember this, before media sessions, we would take that day's event in racial in, in, of racial injustice. So maybe it was something in the 1800s involving you know a lynching or something like that. And they were compartmentalized in a very small how it was described. And so what we would do is we would read it. We would do a little more uh, background work on it to give it a little more context. It was a, an amazing and daunting uh, education. You know, I learned things during that three to four month period that were just completely shocking. Um, Ralph's well aware um, because of, you know, how he how he grew up and some of the things that he mm-hmm. experienced. Um, but it was a daunting education. Then we had Kenosha yeah, we yeah. had Jacob Blake, being, uh, uh, who was murdered. Now, that was right down the road from downtown Milwaukee where the Bucks play. So we're into the playoffs. The Bucks are playing Orlando. Uh, I brought my exercise bike down down there to the bubble. I had it in my room. I'm on my bike. I'm getting ready to watch Milwaukee and Orlando, and there's like no Milwaukee on <laughs> the court. And so, um, you know, I called Lloyd uh, Lloyd Pierce, who, who's who's was the lead for our. Uh, you know, coaches for racial justice <laughs> and they weren't there because Atlanta was not one of the 22 teams. Right. So he answers the phone and he goes, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things are starting to happen. And we had a, and we had a text thread with uh, the people that were on the initial committee. And, you know, it, it was one of the most memorable moments, that, you know, that I will, that I will ever remember because things came to a standstill. So I get a call from Chris Paul, who's the president of the Players Association, mm-hmm. and he says, "Coach, it's Chris." I said, "Yeah, no, I got your D. Yeah, I can go the- <laughs> I can see your name on my phone. Yeah, I guess. yeah, he goes, "Look, he goes, we're having a meeting tonight at eight o'clock. We'd like the coaches to be there. Um, we're going to talk about this." And so I said, "All right, well, we'll have we'll have all our coaches there." And so Chris and Andre, Andre start, start the meeting off and, you know, so we're there. And, uh, you know, I had done some prep work with, with Doc Rivers, who was going to be the coach's voice just to try to, you know, support these guys, give them guidance if we could. And, you know, they started talking about things, um, it was kind of like, hey, Milwaukee, what were you doing? <laughs> what were you <laughs> go play or not? <laughs> what were you guys doing? You didn't tell us anything, you know. And then, and then Kyle Corber, who was their player rep, got up and, and, and very, you know, in, in, in a very heartfelt way, uh, apologized, explained. Um, there were some guys that were so emotional about it, they just simply could not get themselves to go out and play. And then the rest of the guys on that team supported it. And so coaches were in there for a while. And then the players um, voted and then like the Lakers and Clippers voted not to play, you know, initially. And then they came back the next day and voted again. And then there was a lot of talk, you know, Doc was talking to the Clippers, his team, you know, Frank Vogel, their team was meeting LeBron was kind of, was certainly the the leader of that thing. Uh, They came back in the next day and, and voted to go ahead and play. And then there was a zoom call scheduled that afternoon at 5 p.m local time now there was a meeting at 4 p.m with two player reps from each team Um, myself and five other coaches were invited it was like me like me brad stevens uh uh spolstra masai ujiri nick nurse and there and there was one other coach and we were there as and doc and we were there to support to give ideas like i had talked to mark cuban about some ideas some very creative ideas and these guys in one hour had to decide what to ask for from the wow. owners um and so in one hour's time i mean a lot of things get thrown around you got to make some big decisions and so um they came up with voting as the main emphasis and at that time there were nine arenas that had been approved locally for as voting centers i was sitting with eric spolstra and I said, Eric, are you guys approved? He goes, We are trying to get American Airlines Arena approved. We are getting stonewalled, mm-hmm. and they're getting stonewalled locally. Now that's a big Republican state, and so look, if you don't think voter suppression in some <laughs> form doesn't wow. exist today, that mean thats a really good example. So, one of the things was, hey, we want all the NBA arenas open as voters, voting centers if possible. The other thing was. PSAs on all the national TV games about voting. Um, and then there were two or three other things that were things that were impactful now that would be impactful in the future. So the reason I bring this up is that, and the owners were great, 22 NBA arenas became voting centers.
3: Wow. Yeah,
5: and, 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 it, and a lot of them were getting stonewalled, and all of a sudden they were all open. I mean, it was wow. the power of owners. It was the power of the players coming together and saying, hey, we're, we're making a stand here. And I, and I will tell you this, that, that fact, all right, and Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta was, was the most active of anybody. And, and Georgia went from being a Republican state to uh, being a state that went for Biden. And I have no doubt that the NBA's influence and the NBA's players influence, um, and the coaches were certainly involved on some level, had a great a great impact on who was elected president. And so, you know, the whole thing was was an was an amazing experience and 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 so educational.
4: I mean, that's that's crazy. Even now in Georgia, I mean, you mentioned that as well. I mean, the Atlanta coach, he wasn't in a bubble. So he had a lot of time on his hand to do a lot of work, which he did as well. But he's very passionate. I know a little bit about him as well from that perspective. But from a coach's standpoint, I mean, people always ask, you know. LeBron or, you know, and and there's Michael as well that never was political. So, you know, that was when we played, right? So now LeBron's a different animal and uh, the guys are different animals now. So people say athletes don't get political. If I post anything on social media, say, Ralph, you're not a political person, be quiet. So (laughs) it's good to hear that the players were that powerful to, to create that change. But what do you think about players today versus the players we played and their political, you know, aspirations, especially LeBron. I mean, he's off the chart, I think, in some respects and what he's doing socially.
5: It's a great question. You know, I, I went to one player rep meeting my second year. It was, it was the year we won in 1986. Scott Webbin was our player rep. He couldn't go. You beat so- us. <laughs> yeah. You did. You yeah, did. I, that? <laughs> so I went to this meeting in Chicago and Isaiah Thomas was the president. And it was an amazing thing and, and the talk in that in that meeting that particular day was you know how, how they they wanted to set up free agency and I won't get into all the details about it but you know look there was no social media in those days nothing.
4: no cell phones no I mean, nothing.
5: yeah no cell phones I mean look pagers came not too far later but that yes. was still slow motion you know communication now these now this stuff happens in real time I mean you know Luka Doncic has three and a half million Instagram followers, LeBron James got like, as like tens of millions. And this guy is so powerful. Now he was in there. And at the very end of the meeting with the owners here in the back, Hey, this is LeBron, <laughs> and all, of a sudden, all of a sudden everything went, went real quiet and he went through the list of things again with them to make sure that they were gonna, that they were going to hold true, you know, and it was, it was powerful.
3: Rick, you've got your your calendar there that you were just talking about you've got to read one of the days you've got to give us an example of of the kind of things that were being presented at the meetings and at your team meetings
4: okay this is this is the a, this is a calendar that the league put together right or no, 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 no. this
5: is the equal justice initiative job okay, yeah. okay got gotcha. you so can find that so I'll go to one that we read down in the down in the bubble so this is July and let's see here I'll just pick one um. Okay. U.S. Border Patrol begins Operation Wetback in which agents deport more than 1 million people to Mexico and stop, quote, Mexican-looking people on the street to demand identification. So this is one that involves Hispanic Americans. The majority of these involve African Americans. So let's see here uh okay friday july 10th 1887 investigation by grand jury in heinz county mississippi finds that prisoners in the state's convict leasing system are worked to death kept in filthy conditions and starved i mean mm. so what what you would do is if it was your turn to take a day you would google that thing and, and you would come up with more information and context mm-hmm. and probably a lot more facts and it was just a it was just a major education that was happening, and a couple of our staff people actually did PowerPoints, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with pictures and stuff like that, and it wow. was it was off the charts. Wow. It, off the it sounded
3: chart. like you guys were going to school; you weren't playing, <laughs> you weren't playing basketball. <laughs> yep.
5: What Brian was, what Brian Stevenson was saying though was that you know the only the only way to really solve race racism, social and inju- racial injustice, all that is we have to, we have to reckon with our past. We have to talk about these things. We have to re- reckon with our past and, and, and find ways to heal and then, and then move forward. And at first it sounded like, gosh, is that, how is that even gonna be possible? But as we were doing this and getting into the teeth of it and feeling some of these emotions, you know, of not knowing about a lot of this stuff, it was very, very powerful.
3: Had to be Rick. Did did you notice anything different from a leadership standpoint and how you were trying to, you know, you're trying to win games, but trying to tie all this information and education into, you know, something very positive. It, I mean, it sounds like you did.
5: Well, you know, when we came back off of there was a three day hiatus when Milwaukee decided not to play. So while all that was being figured out, the players were voting, and there was a call with the owners and all that. You know, um, there was tons going on. And so we had a meeting at half court the next day, the day that practices resumed um, to talk about what was going on. And we wanted everybody to have a chance to talk about what was on their minds. Um, and look, being, being white and being from Northern New York State where, you know, there, there, isn't, there isn't much diversity at all um and being shielded from a lot of this stuff this is part of the daunting education that you go through um, and as i begin the, began this i said look you know I, I have not experienced um the kind of hate that you guys have seen um, but i you know but i do know history and um and, and as and as guys were starting to talk you know there were a couple that said hey, hey coach this is never going to change. I mean, this, is not, this isn't it. It's always been like this. This is never going to change. And I and I said, I said to a couple of guys, I said, look, guys, I I don't know this level of hatred the way many of you do, but I do know history, and I know that um, Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson and yep. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Cassius Clay, who became Muhammad Ali, in the '60s. You know, those guys stood on yeah, their platform the mm-hmm. way that you guys are standing on your platform right now. And 50, 60 years later, hey, the world the world isn't perfect by any stretch, but it has gotten better. It's gotten, gotten better because of the stand that they took. And what you guys now have to realize is that you have a platform with national TV, with social media, everything else. And all you have to do is simply do your job and play the game that you love. And that platform continues, you know? And then one guy said, hey, what happens if there's another shooting tonight? I said, "Then we're gonna have another brutal day. (laughs) And we're gonna find find a way to get through it. Um, And you guys may have more hard decisions to make, but, this this is why you're here and, and and really initially when the players voted to play one of the reasons they voted to play was to to, to have the bubble use be platform, a platform yeah. for for use that customers. platform yeah. yeah
4: yeah i mean that's the be- that's the best way to use it and I, I commend them for doing that because they i mean they did an amazing job in the bubble and the platform no one knows all the stuff you're telling us behind the scenes which is very very amazing to understand and here because they got an education in the education right but two points that I like to make, whatever, and when I talk about this stuff is, one, you you talk about Muhammad Ali, Kareem, Will, Bill Russell, and you know I've become good friends with Bill, and he's got a new book out and stuff like that. You talk about what they did; they had to, you know, have dinner in the back of the restaurant. I mean, it's totally different, right? So that's that history, and then no one remembers that history, you know, especially young kids. They don't know the history of the game. I'm sure you you, you understand. They don't understand and look back. They understand it. Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan getting older and they'll understand LeBron. But we, we, we as players at Virginia, I mean, we didn't see black and white, we just saw us. You know, we just saw us and we played together and we did that as well. But I also think when the NBA or the world looks at, you know, Chinese, American, white, whatever race you are, right? Uh, they look at it and also have this stigmatism about who you are, especially in the, in the black culture. And I tell people all the time, if you don't respect yourself in their culture, then the world's not going to respect you. So I think it starts internally with the culture. And I think that's what you did at the Mavericks when you got the team together, they have to start respecting themselves to be able to get that. So what, what are your view? When you look at African American and look at these different cultures, what do you think as a, you know, looking at a player, if they walking right, they dress in right, that that fits somebody you want to coach or is it doesn't fit somebody you want to coach, because I think it's still there you know is there for me when I look at you know a guy with baggy pants, right? So like, dude, you know, you you <laughs> pull you pull your damn pants up, you know. So I would give you white, black, or red, but you gotta pull your pants up.
5: Yeah, you person. know and and Ralph, I mean, you know, part of adapting over the years and becoming open to change and, and trying to be on the inventive side of the game. Um, but, but as as look as players have gotten extremely young, and, and social media has again has put such a such a variable um, into our game that that we just we have we have to have empathy. And look, if a kid, if a guy is um, is dressing a certain way, there's a reason he's doing it. You know, I you know, I, and I got to try to understand what that is. Now, <laughs> look, you know, if we have a team rule that. You know, and I don't know what the what you guys had in Houston when you were down there as a dress code. In Boston, it was, you know, it was dressed nice. You could wear nice jeans and stuff, but at least wear a college shirt and don't look like right. a bum. You know, um, we have it now. So on outgoing flights, you know, we wear team sweats, which comfortable, but we all but we're all wearing the same thing. You know, and then after games, it's the NBA dress code. Now, some guy gets on there, and he's got something totally different. You know. He's gonna get fined. We're gonna talk about it, and you know, but we, I, I haven't had to deal with that kind of stuff with our with the groups that we've had because we've we've got guys that that yeah. are into being a team and doing things together. But uh, I think the answer is, you know, empathy when when you come across someone who you know wants to be different, but you have to you have to realize that there's a reason, you know, and 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 whatever the reason is, you know, talk to them about it and. You know, and 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 understand and communicate.
4: Well, that's why you, you know you 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 I mean it's why you successful coaching. I mean, think about the Lakers and you see the social media, you see, I mean it's a show going into the arena with a player, especially a home game, and they might change clothes and come out with something different. On. I mean, I see a Kuzma and somebody got the hair different colors, and it's it's a show. And but that's their brand. I get that. And they, they make money from that show and the brand, but You know, it's hard to it's hard to understand that when you're going you you're going to play basketball. You're not going to a show. You know, that's we old school. So that would be my opinion. But you and I probably couldn't coach those guys. Like we take them. We take Anthony Davis, right? He just had (laughs) to adhere to the rules. But come on.
5: Yeah, and you know, and and part and part of that too is, hey, you know, you know that behind the scenes, LeBron and and AD and Rondo are taking care of all the. Yep. You know, all the nonsense, anything that's getting in the way of winning. I mean, look, LeBron James, it was it was so clear this year. I mean, that guy was on an absolute mission, mission. Yep. absolute mission. It was only about one thing. And that, you know, his legacy was tied to whether he was going to be able to win a championship in a in a third market, you know. Um, and I, the, the, the level of focus, laser like focus, concentration, all that kind of stuff. And so as a coach, you know, you gotta hope you have some vets that can help take care of that stuff. And if you don't, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a zoo.
4: Okay, so everybody's gonna say Michael or LeBron. I mean, you know, who, who's better? And I say well, I say uh, Bill Russell is the best ever. So I <laughs> can say it because he got more rings than anybody if you equate the rings, but everybody will say which one is better in the end. And and LeBron's gonna probably he might catch Kareem points, we'll see, but statistically, he's pretty good. So who would you pick to start that team? Look, Ralph, have seen you know, both of them, so you know.
5: You know, you know what I'm going to say. I mean, exactly. you know, I, Jordan was the same year as me, and you know, we came out of school the same year, yep. and, and that's about where the the comparisons end. But that was that was our era, and yep. so you know if you played against Jordan, there there was, there was just a certain, you know, nastiness. And then I talk about laser like focus. He was only about winning. I mean, I mean, look, he, you know, I mean, he he had an attitude about scoring, but scoring to him was a, was a part of winning. And so I, you know, I would be, I'll be a Jordan guy, you know, Uh, but I do think LeBron James is going to catch Kareem. I mean, he's going at an unbelievable pace. I mean, look at that body. I mean, yeah. the guy is, the guy's amazing. And he is a, he's a tireless worker to keep himself, you know, that kind of fit and everything else. Um, and I heard Michael in a, in a recent interview saying, Hey, look, you know, down the line, he goes, People are forgetting about Chamberlain and Russell now. Yeah, they're right, right. they're right. Want to know who the top five guys are all the time. I mean, like guys like Wilt and and, and Russell are like, are, you know, aren't even being mentioned. And, that, and that's why, that's why time is, is such an important part of this, but I don't have any doubt, you know, at this point in time that, you know, these two will be at the top of the heat. but people are counting championships. I mean, right. Michael's six for six um in the finals and winning championships and and you know lebron's won four and he's been there 10 times but he's been there 10 times in a row you know with three different teams i mean come on man i mean you've been to the finals you know how hard it is to get there but
4: yeah and 10 times in a row is hard mm-hmm.
5: that in itself is an amazing is an amazing accomplishment yeah and imagine jumping to different teams i mean the lakers didn't even make the playoffs last year right you
3: know? rick before we let you go um are you happy with uh, training camps open 1st of December, the December 22nd start to play the 72 games? Are you happy the way that came together?
5: I think it's like, it's like Gary player used to say when he was going to golf tournaments, he goes, if we're, if we're playing on Bermuda greens this week, I love Bermuda greens. If we're <laughs> playing on ben, I love Ben. You know, you got today and what, with what we're going through with COVID and everything else, the whole world is about, you know, being resourceful, adjusting, you know, we hope the vaccine is is going to is going to come and, and get here, um, and stuff like that. But uh, in the meantime, it's going to be massive testing. I get, you know, I'm getting tested every day right now at our at our uh, at our facility in, in anticipation of a camp that's going to be um, 10 to 10 to 12 or 14 days um, days from now. And so, uh, so anyway, I, I am looking forward to it. I just want to say one final thing. If we're signing off here. To my friend Ralph Sampson, no. the, the greatest player, the greatest player in the history of college basketball. <laughs> all right, and, and one of the, one of the great NBA players, and the fact that your career got cut short is one of the is one of the heartbreaking things. I, I wish you to played in this era because, you know, they're taking a lot better care of players. The medical's a lot better, and and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I. I'm, I'm so privileged that, uh, you know, I can call you my friend. And, and the fact that I was able to play with you changed my life.
3: Rick, it's so good to catch up. We wish you the best. And uh, I hope everything goes smoothly with training camp. And as I said, the, the season will be following you. And you get to Orlando, I'll try to steal a ticket.
5: Okay. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the time. Hi, right, Rick. Thanks so much.
0: To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change, and this program brings it all together.
2: Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer, Ralph Sampson. Welcome back. It's our final
3: segment of center court with Ralph Sampson. Uh, Rick was, how good was Rick Carlisle?
4: Hey, all the stories about the bubble, the NBA. I, I thought we were talking more about the draft, which we did a little bit, but inside that bubble, bubble was amazing. I mean, you hear the story directly for someone who was there for almost two months. Yeah. And all the things that the NBA did, but all the stores that came out of it were just freaking amazing.
3: It's a perfect example of maybe where we've come or maybe we haven't come that far that people still have that, you know, it, maybe maybe that's where we sit. We just we've got a ways to go, but I'm not sure we're going to get there anytime soon.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about 400 years of stuff, so mm-hmm. it's going to take more than a couple of years to you know fix all that as well. But at least it's being recognized and people are understanding a little bit more, and the history is coming out more. So look forward to you know changing a little bit and things. But as I said in Rick's in the interview, everybody inside has to change to some extent. Just love people. I mean, that's what it's about. I mean, we're not going to yeah. be on this earth forever. We got to love the earth. We got to love the people. And you know, if you can't do that, then you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. You don't, know, I don't care what color or where you're from or whatever. You've got to love everybody.
3: Yeah, it, it almost, those guys should get college credit in the bubble, the NBA guys and the oh coaches. Yeah, they almost dude. deserve like a master's degree. For, they, get some credit. They, they
4: get a special certificate or something because it was a learning lesson that they would never gotten any other way no they would true. never know that any other it way. was good.
3: Well Ralph hey good week it was a lot of fun uh, great to have Rick we'll uh, we'll have a special Thanksgiving edition next week of Center Court. I hope you have a good week I'm sure gonna try and it's easy to say that's center court for this week. Good to see you
4: Thanks.
2: You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work.